Hi, good afternoon. My name is Hope Milian. And as the song we just sang, we invite you, Holy Spirit, as we read your word. Um, this afternoon, it's, um, the scripture is in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And it reads like this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, from John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we are in week eight of nine of our series, uh, Interrogating Jesus. You know, questions, you know, for your OCD people that I just off-centered this with the table, it's gonna drive you crazy. But I do it so the shadow won't. All right, is that, let me know your discomfort level. <laughs> All right, where was I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, See, uh, week, season eight, as they say. All right. Um, we're looking at these questions that are posed to Jesus, and they're really all over the map, like quality of question, what they talk about. Um, but, but this has been kind of a stabilizing quote. This is from Anne Rice, and, and she talks about questions, and you're going you're gonna to be tired of this, but only one more week after this quote, and then we're done. I won't say it again. Very few beings really seek knowledge in this world. Few really ask on the contrary, they try to wring from the unknown the answers they have already shaped in their own minds. Justifications, confirmations, forms of consolation, without which they can't go on. To really ask is to open the door to the whirlwind. And it's interesting, the question that we have is this question reveals what they were really, really wanted. And they thought they had it all figured out and all they needed was a timeline. What I like about Jesus' answers is that um, he doesn't give them what they thought they needed to hear from this question, but he gives them what they really need to hear, and I'm going to submit this, is he also gives them what their hearts are really longing for. So the question this afternoon is, are you restoring your kingdom to Israel now. 
Um, I, I want you to think of it this. There's a companion question, a modern question, that, that some of us might have heard asked, maybe asked internally, but is, maybe it sounds like this. God, are you restoring your kingdom to America? With all of its overtones. Right? This is the question that they're asking. When are you going to inhabit the power structures that Caesar and Herod now have? In fact, no, no, this, this is MEGA. Do you have a qu- This is MEGA. Do you guys get it? Make Israel great again. When are you going to do it? When you, and, and, and you think I'm sort of being cute, but think of all of the overtones when we have the power. When are you going to do it? So listen to this question. You're like, oh, that's, this is a more interesting question than I thought at first. I don't know why I leaned back. I don't know anybody in this community that talks to me like that. So why would I ask a rhetorical question like that? All right, how many grew up hearing this? There's no such thing as a stupid question. Okay? Well, there are, because this is a silly question. It assumes all of these things that they think they know what they know, because it's a very leading question. It's like, Mom, are you going to take me to Disney, um, Disneyland this week or the week after? Right? It's leading. You're just like, you're going to do it. I just know when. This is, this is the type of question. We know we're going to inhabit the power structures. Just tell us when it's going to happen. Okay. I want to look at two things briefly, really briefly, because we don't have a lot of time. Two things. I want to just look how silly the question is. And then I want us to see like what Jesus gives them instead. Because he treats it, he treats them with such great respect. In fact, far more respect than I would have treated them. I'd be like, really? Mega? He doesn't do that. He's not sarcastic, Tim Lian. He actually gives this beautiful, kind response. So let's look at the silly question. The question really doesn't fully understand what it's asking, right? Because Jesus is not interested in existing in human power structures. He's not. I am not interested in filling the vacuum of how you think should go with all of the power structures that I'm not gonna fill it, so I'm not gonna do that. Okay, this is another silly, why it's a silly question. They don't understand that the heart of God is not interested in one country. Have you read Revelation? Revelation 20. All tribes and nations And he's not interested in one nation asserting dominance and superiority all of the other nations. So they don't understand that the heart of God is not about Israel. And I hate to tell you, is not just about America. Okay. It doesn't understand this. The question doesn't understand the length and the breadth of the story of God because they're like, it would be really great 
if Caesar was, it would be really awesome if, and take your pick, Trump or Biden, I, I, like I'm equal opportunity here. It'd be really great if you could change those things right now. And it doesn't understand the length and the breadth is I'm not just going to fill a, a, a presidency. What am I going to do? No, I'm going to, I'm not even worried about the nation. I am going to restore all of creation. That's my plan. So it doesn't even understand the scope and the breadth and the depth. And you're just like, no, this story is so big, I'm, I'm fixing it all. And why is this a silly question? And this one nails me. Like when I, I, I realized this past week, I was like, oh, that's me. I, uh, I hate it, but I love to be convicted by it. I love spiritual black eyes. I love it. Um, one of, well, no, 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 that, that's an aside. I better be careful. Um, it assumes this. It is, the disciples are asking him, when are you going to restore your kingdom, Israel? It assumes this, is that if you fixed the Caesar, Herod, Trump slash Biden piece, whatever your poison is, if you fixed it, I am certain that an outside thing from me would fix all of the things. And this is what it does. Uh, this is the J.B. Phillips, I put it in the online bulletin. This is what they don't understand. Every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and this is gonna make sense just a little bit from now. Every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that we believe that there is a living God able and willing to enter a human personality and change it. So what needs to happen for the world is a little less out there and a little bit more in, well, not a little bit, a lot of it in here. So they assume, like, if I just fix this piece in my life, my job, my boss, my mate, what, I don't, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, if I just, that got better, it would fix the things. And we don't realize that God wants to fix us. All right, it's a bad question with bad assumptions, bad underlying premises, but it does have strains of good things here because I don't think that some of their longings are entirely, we're, 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 we're people with mixed motives, aren't we? We're a mixed bag. So this is what the, part, the strain of what they're longing for, and we need to recognize is that they, they are longing that things get fixed. That is a beautiful longing in any of us uh, do you want things fixed? My neighbors who don't know Jesus, it's a great connection point. They too want a broken world and broken relationships fixed. Um, what else is kind of beautiful in its humanity, in its immaturity? Well, the now kind of shows this, imp this imp bring it now, bring your kingdom now, D do the things now. It sounds like Psalm 13, which was in our call to worship. W what's the question? Say it back to me. <laughs> Furiously on your Bible app. Okay, no, no, I shouldn't have done that. That's, that's unfair. I, I wasn't told there was gonna be pop quizzes. That's fair, that's on me, that's on me. How long, O oh Lord, Psalm 13 says, how long is it going to take for you to fix the things? How long? How long? That is a beautiful thing because I, the, the bad is bad for a reason. And the longing for it to be fixed, this imp godly impatience, like how long? That's a good strain. And that's what the disciples have. 
But overwhelmingly, this question assumes this. Let me summarize the question for you. How long until we get the power, baby? How long? Can you see a Pharisee doing this? No, probably not. Rewind. Okay. How long until we have the power? And what I love about Jesus, like I said before, he gives the fullest audience and attention and kindness and thoroughness to silly questions. So I've got a pastor friend of mine, and maybe you can put that up, right? Oh, you can't, you can't, all right, so the left is a campfire scene of Jesus from the uh, YouTube Chosen, the Chosen, right? <laughs> and you can't see this, I'll forward this to you afterwards if you want it. The right is an AI representation of what would a campfire scene, and you can see the, the limbs are all like fluid or whatever. You can't see it very well, okay. I have a friend who says this, is one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did in his earthly ministry is when they were around the campfire and, they, and the disciples started to talk about theology, he said one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did is not punch them in the face. <laughs> do, you, do you see what he's saying here? It's like what Jesus does with this answer is full on serious kindness. I'm not sure if I would be that nice around the campfire. But Jesus, it, he takes it so seriously. And he gives answer to their timeline because they're like, when are you, when are you gonna restore? When are you gonna make Israel great again? And he, and he knows something. He says, the knowledge of when is not gonna really address your heart thing with the power. Right, the heart question is, when are we gonna rise above other people, like the Romans? When are we gonna rise above about the illegitimate Herodian dynasty? When are we gonna rise above, when are we gonna be able to flex? When are we be able to run things and call the shots? And Jesus is really amazing. He says this elsewhere in Matthew 24, but he says, um, I don't even know the hour or the day. My father does. Can you imagine Jesus himself not having access to that kind of info and yet being totally pleased with his father? So he kind of points this out. He goes, I don't, I don't know the time. So the when is really not, you know, we thought we needed knowledge in the Garden of Eden, didn't we? We don't need more knowledge. We don't need more knowledge. What is needed? Because they, they are like, when are we gonna be in power? And you know what Jesus gives them? The promise of power. Check it out. Check it out. They're longing for power like, when our side wins this election, look out, because we are going to make appointments. We are going to stock committees. You watch out. But it's not like that power. He says this, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
See, he, he understands what their real heart is, right? The real question, when are we going to have power? He goes, oh, you're going to get some power. And with all that power, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay. To do what? I'm going to give you this power to do what? So what does pre-restoration look like? So restoration is at the end of days when Jesus and, and God the Father put all of creation right. What does pre-restoration look like? What does the gradual spreading of his kingdom of power look like? Well, it has witnesses and tasters of his story, and they're flung across creation. In the first century, it was through absolute persecution and pain and loss of property and money and all sorts of rights. So, here's a question for you. He says, I'm gonna, I am gonna give you dynam, I'm gonna give you power you don't even realize, and what I want you to do is be witnesses all over. So here's the question. What can one measly Christian family do in an apartment complex or on a street? because he's flung his Christians everywhere. I get this from, um, there's a guy named um, uh, Justo Gonzalez. He's wrote, written a two volume set on Christian history, right? From the resurrection. And another guy, his name is Harvey Kahn, and he's a missiologist, so that's a big word for like, how did Christianity get around the globe? And what were the links? Like, how did it spread? What were the means? So he's a missiologist. Interesting thing about Harvey Kant, he spent half of his life in South Korea and the other half of his life uh, teaching at Westminster um, Seminary in Philly. And what's fascinating about Harvey Kant is, and I say modern influence here because we've got other shoulders we stand on, modern influence. He, he's the first one, especially in my thinking and guys like me, uh, to, to, to show Jesus' heart for the city. Do you know who was really influenced by Harvey Kahn? Tim Keller. So Harvey Kahn and Justo Gonzalez, they make this incredible case about something. Whenever you have 2% and 1% to 6% of Christianity 2% is when you start to tip over into vitality. Um, you have a vibrant, thriving, missional, serving church. So whenever a culture is anywhere from 2 to 6%, the church is on fire for God. Now, check this out. Anywhere from... Whenever you start getting a culture that has 11 to 16%, which still you're like, that's not a lot. What begins to happen is become Christians begin to assume the power structures of their culture. And what do they do when they assume the power structures of their culture? What do they do? We are doing it my way. Is that not frightening? It's this picture of yeast 
in the Old Testament and the New Testament and what is yeast, it's so tiny, but what it causes in the dough is a massive uh, gaseous reaction. <sighs> Choice of words. Thank you, Larson. <laughs> what it says is, no, 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 no. You were always intended not to assume the power structures of earth. And when you don't assume the power structures of earth, you do great things. Why? Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. This is what Jesus is saying. I've said this line so many times here at the way in the last eight years. Better is he that is in you than Jesus standing right beside you. Tim, that's bold. That's crazy. Why do you say that? Because Jesus said it. He said, you will do greater things than me. Oh, Jesus himself said that. You're going to do greater things than Jesus himself. Why? Yes, because it's in multiplicity. The Holy Spirit flung out across the globe is powerful. I show this picture. Why is he so fired up? I don't know. All right, I show this picture to you in February. Um, look, 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 when we get together on a Sunday afternoon, we rally around the cross. That is our fuel. It is our energy. It is where you get all the things. And then he flings us out. We leave this place. We were not meant to what? Huddle up Monday through Saturday. What can one measly, yeasty, maybe wrong choice of word, yeasty family do on a street? What can you do? You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gave I want power. We want power. I give you the Holy Spirit. So check this out. You saw this graphic. You have 168 hours in a week. And that little white sliver at best, and I'm tacking on hours, is time you would spend around your Christian friends. And you know what he has called you to? He has called you to be flung out Monday through Saturday wherever you, you are the scattered church and you are vital and you're important and you are full of power because you have the Holy Spirit and you're not trying to occupy the power structures of earth. You're trying to say, Jesus, I'm gonna depend on you in this day for your will and your kingdom to happen in and through me and all of us are doing that. You think we can do something great? Yes, how do I know it? Because we have power. And it's not the power structures of earth. Let's pray into that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you for not giving us the power structures of earth. We would abuse it. We have abused it. Help us depend so much on your spirit, this incredible gift. And in this dynamism, we, may we bring your kingdom to South Pasadena and San Gabriel and Monterey Park and Alhambra and, and, and Arcadia and Pasadena and Eagle Rock and La Cañada, Flint Ridge, of course. Jesus, uh, Eagle Rock, Highland Park. Use the power of your spirit in us flung out. Oh, we pray for this. We long for it. How long? How long? Jesus, let's be a part of it. Please have us be a part of it until you restore all things. In Jesus' name, amen.